0: I think we are at a once-in-a-500-year moment. Um, and, you know, if you're at all interested in history, it's quite fun to be here. Uh, as it as it, happens. we are going to know whether the Church of England is going to be reformed and renewed or whether it is going to be destroyed by the Lord, I think. Uh, but we don't yet know.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. information about church society and all the things that we do on our website churchsociety.org you'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the church society podcast I'm Ros Clark I'm the associate director of church society and I'm your host for this little mini series of podcast episodes looking at the church of England If you haven't yet listened to the episode from last week on what is the Church of England, do go and listen to that before you carry on with this week's episode where we'll be asking the question, what is wrong with the Church of England? Before we start to answer the question of what is wrong with the Church of England, I think it's useful for us to set a benchmark, what the Church should be, something that we can realistically measure the Church of England against. So here's what I had to say about that in our recent junior Anglican evangelical conference. So there are factions in the church, just as there were in Corinth. There are pretty deep disagreements in understanding the basic gospel message, just as there were in Galatia. There are false teachers, just as there were in Ephesus. There are church members and even church leaders tolerating gross sexual immorality. Corinth again. Christians threatening each other with legal action. Corinth. I mean, it was pretty rubbish in Corinth, wasn't it? Um, There are Christians who've never grown to any kind of maturity in their faith, just as there were uh, in the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews. There are certainly people who love to waste their time on pointless arguments. There are people who are weak-willed, there are people who are greedy, people who are prejudiced, and people who just love the sound of their own voices. There are people who have been badly taught, and there are people who have been badly hurt. There are people burying their heads in the sand, and there are people proclaiming that they know exactly what we should be doing to sort it all out. There are sinners everywhere you look. There are threats of schism, whether we want to call that separation or differentiation or some other nice word. There is a very real threat of financial collapse. There are declining numbers of people going to church, and the church has very little remaining influence on the rest of society. There is a vast theological vacuum and actual heresy. We are in a mess. But that is normal. That is what church is like in the New Testament. That is what church is like throughout history. There's never been a moment where church has been right, where everything has been in the place that it should be. That is the history of the Church of England. We might look back at Cranmer's foundational documents of the Church of England and think how wonderful that is. But we know the reality of the 16th century church was a terrifying and terrible place at many times, and in many ways. There had to be books of homilies published because preachers couldn't be trusted to preach sermons in their own churches, only to read out what others had written for them. We never had a perfect church. We never really had a good church. Here's what Charlie Screen had to say.
0: It's normal uh, for false teachers to come from among you. It's in fact normal for them to be your best friends. Uh, Demas, Phygelus, Homogenes, it's normal for there to be conflict. It's normal for churches um, led by false teachers to be growing.
1: The state of the church as a mess may be normal, but of course it's not desirable It's not okay. Jesus has very strong things to say to churches like this in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. We shouldn't expect church to be okay, but also we shouldn't want church to be so awful. We shouldn't assume that the dire situation we seem to be in now is the worst crisis the church has ever faced but that doesn't mean we should be complacent or hopeless and just throw up our hands and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We shouldn't assume that we can't ever make things better. When we think about the situation in the Church of England at the moment, it's easy to focus on the national church, the big picture and all the things that are wrong at that level. But let's just remind ourselves, as we looked at last time, that the church is made up of its parish churches. That is, as much as anything else can claim to be, the church in England, the Church of England. So George Crowder reminds us a little bit about what local churches can be like.
2: Churches are misshapen by cultural pressure, not just trickled down from the denomination, but pressing in from the local community. And present within the local church, as confused, misguided or hurting church members make their voices heard. Churches are misshapen by preferences, being held captive by our own desires. Churches are misshapen by personalities being held captive by someone else's desires. Churches are misshapen by power play and bullying, either by ministers or by church members. Churches are misshapen by prejudice and discrimination. Churches are misshapen by obsession with material success, either because they have wealth or because they don't. Churches are misshapen by scandal. And catastrophic moral failure. Churches are misshapen by shallow, self oriented, systematic theology. Churches are misshapen by lack of biblical theology. It is not just the machinations of the House of Bishops that we are up against, it is the sinful state of the human heart in all its manifestations. <clears throat> There are, ch- there are churches in poor health. They may be emaciated and sickly, lacking biblical nourishment and strength. They may be obese and out of shape, fat with wealth, but lacking spiritual vigour. Using the picture of marriage, they are churches who are unfaithful to their husband, Christ. They may be romantically <coughs> attached to idols of wealth or success or popularity or worldly credibility. Or they may reject the word that binds them to him and promote false teaching. There are churches which have broken down and become dysfunctional.
1: Local churches will always be congregations of sinners, struggling to become the body, the building, the bride of Christ. But at the moment, Church of England churches aren't always helped by the denomination in its role as parachurch support network or even in its role as fellowship of local churches providing oversight by its bishops
2: churches struggle in dioceses that don't support them with neighboring clergy who oppose the gospel with church members who are manipulative and divisive and with factions that seek to undermine the minister
1: So I do think we perhaps need to reset our expectations of normal for the local church and for the national church. But it is fair to say that this really is a crisis moment. Perhaps. Charlie Screen again.
0: You know, some kind of very slow, very polite, very Church of England watershed moment is
3: happening.
1: James Kerry agrees this really is a crisis moment.
3: I'm sure there are particular semantic definitions to the word crisis. And in one sense, things seem to be coming to a head over a particular issue. So, yeah, I think there is a, some sort of crisis going on and it's taking up an awful lot of time and people are having a lot of meetings about it. And it's, it's slightly frustrating how uh, it's deemed to be both a once in a generation crisis, but equally, well, this is no big deal. And here are some prayers and they're optional. It's like, well, OK, it sounds like this is both a crisis and there's nothing to see here. Uh, and I don't really think it can be both, but I, I obviously understand why some are spinning it in that direction.
1: What then is the nature of the crisis that we are facing? We might want to focus on what appears to be the presenting issue, the question of same-sex marriages or blessings of same-sex relationships. But for Lee Gates. The nature of the crisis that we are currently facing has a much more fundamental level to it than that.
4: The crisis in the Church of England at the moment is all about authority. Um, Where do Christians look to find out what to believe and how to live? Uh, And the crisis is about the authority of Scripture as God's unerring word. And that's what Anglicans have always believed, um, officially and really um, on the grounds that the Bible is God's word written. And it is that word, as we believe it and put it into practice, which is authoritative for us. It tells us who God is. He himself is his own best witness as to who he is. He knows himself better than we do. And so we listen to what he says in the word and believe that and do as he says. So if we follow Jesus Christ as Lord, that's the basic confession of Christianity isn't it? That Jesus is my Lord, Jesus. Um, We listen to what he says as our Lord and that's what the Bible is, it is his word to us and that is what's at issue.
1: Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So says Isaiah in chapter 64. Do you feel that same sense of urgency and hunger for God, that he might rend the heavens and come down? Oh, how we need it. We cannot engineer revival. That is God's sovereign work. Our part to play is in prayer. Are you not convicted by those rousing words from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch with me for just one hour? At the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference in 2024, we will be exploring the theme of revival, looking at revival in the Bible and the history of revivals across the world. The conference will be held from the 5th to the 7th of February at Kings Park in Northampton. You'll find all the details on the Church Society website, including the booking form, and you can pay for the conference online. We hope you'll be able to join us for a wonderful time of conferring, of fellowship and of Bible teaching. do we listen to and where do we hear his voice? We listen to Christ in his word in the Bible and the question is will we obey him? Of course this isn't the first time the church has been divided. The church has had disputes and disagreements throughout its history but this debate does seem to be of a different kind from most of those that have gone before. Legatus explains a little bit how we have got to this point.
4: People have been tinkering at the edges on these subjects for decades. So, for a very long time, Christians have argued about doctrine, about exactly what we believe. In the Reformation, they argued about justification by faith alone. Is that correct? Or do we go with the Roman Catholic definition of salvation? Um, We've argued about other doctrinal issues. And yet all the way through that, Christian morality and the basic definition of what a Christian life should look like was often very much agreed on as a consensus throughout the the church um, in the world. Now, Christian morality is the thing which is being argued about. And that really has only started in the last hundred years or so. Over the last 40-plus years, the Church of England has been um, thinking about the subjects of sexuality and marriage in a much more serious and prolonged way. Um, Partly because there have been pressures from the world, partly because there have been pressures from elsewhere in the global church. Other parts of the Anglican Communion have abandoned traditional Christian ethics on those subjects, and told us that we ought to do the same. At the same time, there's been a lack of discipline um, on on these issues. We've loosened the reins on the clergy and what, what is acceptable for clergy in terms of their lifestyle and in terms of their teaching. It isn't just about their own lifestyle, it is about what they teach from the pulpit as acceptable Christian doctrine and ethics. And if you loosen the reins of discipline on those things and don't discipline people when they go out of line um, and become unorthodox, then we cannot expect to maintain uh, maintain the line at a national level. It's, It's unsurprising.
1: As our society has largely abandoned its Christian faith, inevitably it has also begun to abandon Christian morality. Christians nowadays, therefore, are bombarded by a secular worldview, at school, at work, on the media, within our families, as we live in this post-Christian world. And so perhaps it's no wonder that the church is wobbling on an issue of Christian morality.
2: The Bible narrative is spoken of quietly and timidly, if at all. But every day, these church members that we love have the enveloping narrative in their own families, with young people growing up immersed in a digital culture, and maybe with family members who are in same-sex relationships, and maybe with other family members who are distressingly homophobic. And every day they go to work where they're caught between campaigning colleagues, corporate virtue signalling, and systemic prejudice and harassment. Then at home, streaming their favourite series on Netflix, they're carried along by a powerful story that makes Christian ethics seem archaic. In the wider community, the church fears relational damage that will affect evangelistic outreach, even worse, being targeted by campaigners. And from the perspective of Christian compassion, as we love the lost, it seems impossible to hold an orthodox position that won't cause hurt.
1: So we're at a point where within the church there is a divide. There are clearly two different positions on sexual morality arising from two different views of authority and two different ways of calibrating the relationship between church and the rest of society.
3: I think those who've actually been at Synod in the room and maybe watching it via YouTube as well, when speeches on uh, living in love and faith and prayers in love and faith have been given, it has been quite clear that there really are two big um, opposing positions and there really is a deep, deep divide between them. And that was recognised in the room by extremely, extremely senior clergy as well. And so in a way, I'm grateful uh, that this has been exposed because I think it has always been there and of course this is not the issue on which any of us would have chosen to have uh, to have had this discussion because of course our sexuality is a deeply personal uh, thing and therefore it's um, it's something that people find very very difficult to talk about and to be challenged on but that, that is the nature of these things um, uh, they, they very rarely are uh, battles of our own uh, choosing
1: This division has finally come to a head on the matter of same-sex relationships, following years and years of shared conversations, of LLF courses, of committees and debate with the Bishop's proposed Prayers of Love and Faith, published in January of 2023, which were voted on by General Synod, who voted on them not uh, to adopt them, but to welcome the Bishop's proposal, in February, with further work to be done. James Carey, a member of General Synod, reflects on that debate.
3: Part of the crisis is that it feels like we haven't necessarily dealt with this in a way that is honest, um, and that we are, you know, we're being invited to authorise, or we're not being invited to authorise prayers of love and faith, because it feels like that won't happen, so other ways are being done.
1: Well, the debates have made the deep division and disagreement very clear, the process by which the prayers of love and faith have been introduced has been far from clear. And indeed, in February, we were told everything would be sorted out by July. In July, we were told it would be sorted out by November. As I'm recording this, it's almost October and it's still very uncertain what we will be debating in Synod in November and whether there will be any kind of conclusion at that point. There are still very serious debates about the legality of introducing these new prayers, for example, and whether the General Synod has been uh, given the opportunity to vote appropriately on the introduction of this new liturgy. It is becoming increasingly obvious to everyone what many of us suspected back when they were published in January. The House of Bishops is determined to push it through, despite lacking the authority to do so. They know that they don't have the two-thirds of synod needed to do it legally through Canon B2, which is how you would change um, liturgy. So they have attempted and are continuing to attempt to find all kinds of other ways to make it happen. Canon B5, Canon B4, the Faith and Order Commission are now working not to establish any of our doctrine on the question of same-sex marriage, but to establish whether there is a difference between doctrine and teaching. Because that is the nuanced distinction on which the original attempt of the bishops hangs. The matter of authority once again. So where does all this leave us? We have struggling churches and a divided denomination. What do we do about that? Do we just wash our hands of it and walk away? Well, maybe. We're going to turn to think about that question more of how we respond to the current situation in the Church of England next week. But I want to just leave us this week uh, with uh, another excerpt from Charlie Screen's talk from the Jake Conference this year, reflecting on Micah 7 and what it might have to say to us in the church today.
0: Uh, What do you do in that situation? What do you do if you find yourself in a declining, uh, falling apart, degrading church and state? Uh, Do you rage against it? Do you complain? Uh, Do you exit Well, no, verse 7, you hope, I watch in hope for the Lord. But verse 9, Micah 7, verse 9, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. Um, Do you see why I found that so helpful? God may be judging uh, our nation and our church, our denomination. Um, Of course the suffering and the cost of that will come to me too. Uh, I am also a sinner. I'm also affected by the sins of my culture and the sins of my denomination. Uh, of course, the, the, the things that the Lord is doing will happen to us. Ministers who preach against the prosperity gospel somehow seem to believe in a version just for our ministries and our churches and our denomination. Um, Micah was besieged with the rest uh, by Assyria. Uh, Micah's home village was burned with all the rest in Judah. Micah is expecting to be exiled to Babylon. In fact, it was his grandchildren or great grandchildren because of the patience of our gods. But if God is judging our culture, of course we will feel the pain of it.
1: As I've put this episode together, it has been a sobering exercise considering the things that are wrong with the Church of England. And indeed, It would be possible to make podcast episode after episode after episode enumerating all the many ways in which the Church of England is wrong. But I hope you've been able to see from this episode that the issues at stake aren't simply to do with the one presenting concern about sexuality That in fact, many of the things that we see as wrong in the Church of England are to be expected of any church following a New Testament model. That although we may be at a crisis point, this is far from the first crisis God's church has ever weathered. And so I pray that you will, uh, like Micah, recognize that you are part of the church and society which may be under God's judgment, to know that there's no reason to assume you will somehow escape the judgment and the persecution uh, that will follow. But also, like Micah, that you will continue to be faithful in prayer, pleading with the Lord to have mercy on his church. So as I say, we'll be back again next week uh, with the next in this series, thinking about how we can respond to the current situation, the current crisis, however polite and Church of england that crisis is. I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app And we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well.